Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, midday, good afternoon, good evening, uh, later evening, wherever you um, might happen to be. <clears throat> My name is uh, John Duke Anthony. I'm the founding uh, president and chief executive officer of the National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations. The National Council was established in 1983. Its headquarters are in Washington. It has programs, uh, events, projects, and activities throughout the United States in five Arab uh, countries, and uh, oftentimes in Europe and Canada uh, as well. Its uh, vision is a firmer foundation uh, for the uh, United States relations with its Arab friends, its Arab partners, its Arab allies, then has been the case, then is the case, or is likely to be the case unless enough good people on all sides uh, work uh, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm uh, to uh, pursue this, this goal. Uh, a mission is one word, and that is education. And this is what we're going to be doing for the better part of the next hour. The, the, the National Council's uh, status is that of a nonprofit and a non-governmental uh, organization. And it doesn't have members, it has participants in the National Council's activities, such as today's, both the direct presenters and addresses, moderators and commentators and providers of information and insight, and those who support the National Council in one way or the other. And we have now begun what in educational terms is a so-called academic year uh, for pre-collegiate uh, students, as well as those in institutions for higher education and above. And we would call attention to one of the National Council's nine programs. It's a youth leadership development program, otherwise sometimes known as the Model Arab League, much like the Model United Nations. Um, we teach the coming generation uh, to be the emerging leaders of greater influence and effectiveness than those of my generation and those on today's uh, program. Uh, and those leadership lessons have to do with being able to uh, edit uh, quickly, rapidly, and effectively, uh, speak clearly, rapidly, and effectively, write clearly, rapidly, and effectively, all under atrocious deadlines as in real life, how to master parliamentary procedure, how to draft resolutions, and how to form coalitions. And uh, our two main presenters today have spent the better part of their adulthood, their professional careers in doing just that, uh, helping to edify uh, otherwise confused, complicated public on pressing public policy issues of the day. Uh, the focus today is going to be on Lebanon, a much troubled society. It lives in a region of uh, two kinds of oil, uh, turmoil, uh, which it's begun to specialize in, so to speak, and that other kind uh, uh, of oil, the fuel that fires in, uh, the energy of all of the world's economies, large and small, medium-sized, old and new, and everything in between. Many people have written uh, Lebanon's obituary uh, over the last decades, um, especially during its seemingly at the time interminable civil war from 1975 uh, to roughly 1989 and the Taif Accords there where at least 150,000 Lebanese uh, uh, died uh, 
Thousands more were wounded, many maimed, crippled, paralyzed for life, and tens of thousands also uh, rendered homeless. It's been invaded uh, by Israel at least twice, uh, attacked in 1978 and invaded in June of 1982, and remained uh, uh, the harbinger of matters pertaining to sovereignty and independence in southern Lebanon for the next following 19 years, where after its own invasion and occupation, it worked through a surrogate uh, a collection of elites in southern Le Lebanon uh, who took their marching orders largely uh, from Israel. But it's also a country that at that time had a nascent uh, insurrectionist movement against the invasion and occupation by Israel named Hezbollah. Uh, a few at the time uh, did predict or could have predicted uh, that uh, Hezbollah would become uh, the dominant, uh, the most predominant of all of the numerous political forces, factors, and phenomena in Lebanon. It may be too harsh or an overstatement to say that Hezbollah is a wholly owned subsidiary of Tehran, uh, but at the same time, uh, where they spoke, in this case, they certainly aspire. Imagine that one could today uh, get in a vehicle in Tehran and drive straight through all the way to Beirut uh, through areas that are dominated by Iran and facilitated in that domination by America's ill-advised disastrous invasion and occupation of Iraq in March of 2003, the consequences of which have yet to run its course. And in doing these kinds of phenomena, in phases in Lebanon's uh, troubled uh, political period of our lifetimes. Uh, you have had Lebanon itself poor in comparison to some of its more economically well-endowed neighbors, take in a total of 1.5 million refugees, uh, adding to its own 4 million indigenous Lebanese for a population of 5.5. Uh, in an American geographical equivalency terms, it would be roughly the size of Rhode Island. Uh, so here we, we have a small country uh, in a region that has uh, various giants and yet has managed to stay afloat and to uphold its national sovereignty. And for the most part, italics on that phrase, for the most part, it's political independence and for the most part as well, it's territorial integrity. These are the three criteria for a good standing of a member of the United Nations. These are the principal frames of reference uh, for a country that is in accord with the canons of international law and the norms of international legitimacy. <clears throat> but the question is, can Lebanon continue uh, to be successful in these three areas of national an international endeavor. It certainly pulled rabbits, so to speak, out of the habits before. <clears throat> it has had its civil war, which, as I mentioned, was seen to be interminable and endless and tragic. It has had profound economic, fiscal, and political crises before, uh, as it is going through at the present time. And yet it has had a, a storied present and past of contributing uh, an outsized offering uh, to world civilizations and to regional dynamics and affairs. 
pondered, for example, the following, that when we came into existence, our first publication, we thought would be bland, innocuous, and uh, neutral. And we called it U.S.-Arab relations, the literary dimension. So we searched far and wide from Morocco to Muscat, Baghdad to Berber, Algiers to Aden and Aleppo and Alexandria in between. And what did we find? But the top four were all Lebanese writers. Uh, Khalil Gibran, for example, uh, whose book, The Prophet, is reportedly uh, translated into more languages than any other book other than the religious text of the Torah, the Quran, and, and the Bible. And you have uh, Mikhail Naimi, uh, often nominated for the Nobel Prize for Literature. And you have uh, Amin Rahani, an individual before the internet, before electric typewriters, wrote and published 53 books, uh, one man at the eastern part of, of the Mediterranean. And Elias Abomadi, whose widow lived on after him in Brooklyn, in uh, the uh, state of New York. You've had Lebanese who become president of the United Nations General Assembly. There's not a restaurant or hotel anywhere in the region from Kuwait to Muscat uh, where you will not find a, a Lebanon, Lebanese uh, cashier, a receptionist, general manager, assistant manager, one who's helped to keep uh, uh, enterprises afloat economically, fiscally, financially, and monetarily. And these two individuals will provide uh, insight on this Lebanon uh, to which we're making passing a reverence here that for decades on end was regarded as the Switzerland of the Middle East in terms of its openness, its freedom, freedom its dynamism in the private sector and in trade and investment and technology cooperation and higher education. And the latter with regard to, especially to the American University in Beirut, uh, there were for a time, uh, no cabinets anywhere in Arabia and the Gulf that did not have a graduate or someone with a certificate from the American University of Beirut. And if there were prizes for institutions uh, uh, on the Nobel Peace Prize, in addition to or in opposition to uh, human beings, certainly the leading candidate in the eyes of many would be the hospital of the American University of Beirut. Throughout that nearly 15 year civil war in Lebanon, you had not a single day where the hospital closed or where ambulances refused to answer 9-11 or their equivalent. When according to some reports, uh, oil cost $220 a gallon. And no ambulance driver said, no, we cannot come. The uh, cost of oil and gas is too high. That hospital uh, ranks high and above, has no rivals amongst uh, hospitals in the developing world. Uh, so you have this extraordinary country that continues to survive and thrive and produce and contribute into offer. Uh, whether it will be able to pull through this time remains to be seen, but I have no doubt that we'll have greater clarity of thought and insight and information and knowledge and capability of analyzing uh, these phenomena about the end of, of the hour. Uh, we have three individuals who will help us in this regard. 
Uh, one is Yad uh, El Sayed uh, from a storied uh, family of uh, many uh, from the El Sayed family in Syria and Palestine and Lebanon, uh, who is uh, a civic activist. Indeed, he's the director of the Lebanese Civic uh, Hub, and he's uh, an entrepreneur and uh, published uh, thinker and political philosopher pertaining to um, refugees, especially refugees on matters pertaining to public policy. And we're wedded to the notion that when people are dissatisfied with the public policies, public positions, public attitudes, public actions of a given government, uh, the way to change it is through education and through changing attitudes. And here's what we have in front of us today, along with the commentary of uh, Ms. Daisy Gideon, who is the director of Enough, uh, having to do with uh, the situation in, in Lebanon pertaining to its uh, political dysfunctionality, uh, the weakness of the governmental structure, uh, the inability or increasing inability of governments there local and regional uh, to provide services. And when a government cannot provide services, economic or social, it can be on the tip of the iceberg of, of potentially cataclysmic political change. And perhaps the cha that charge can already be leveled at Lebanon, uh, given what it's had to contend with, with the extraordinary explosion in the port of Beirut in the last two years and alleged government malfeasance which led to that explosion on top of COVID-19, coronavirus-19, uh, for which only a tiny of the minuscule of Lebanon's 5.5 million people ha have been vaccinated. Uh, without further ado, I'm going to turn the program over uh, to uh, Colonel retired Abbas Dahouk, a member of the National Council's Board of Directors. He himself was born and raised in Lebanon. Uh, became an American citizen and, enlist, uh, and became an officer in the United States uh, Army Armed Forces, uh, trained at uh, the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, uh, served as the U.S. Army and Defense Attaché at the uh, U.S. Embassy in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And uh, his last position was the Senior Military Affairs Advisor to the U.S. Department of State. Uh, in retirement, he has become an entrepreneur himself. He's the principal in Hyphen Point, uh, which is a firm that specializes in consulting and aiding and facilitating outsiders who want to do business in the Arab region, the Middle East, or the Islamic world. Without further ado, I pass the baton to Colonel Abbas Dahouk. Colonel Dahouk. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Anthony, for your uh... Uh, kind remarks and for uh, introductions and for the uh, your insights on uh, the past of Lebanon and uh, unfortunately as uh, we all know uh, Lebanon today is going through a free fall uh, to the unknown I mean it's a uh, economic free fall political free fall uh, cultural free fall uh, it's just uh, uh, it just uh, sat uh, sat the witness and the world recently the World Bank described the economic uh, crisis in Lebanon as the worst world crisis since the mid 19th century 
that tells you the magnitude of the of the crisis of such a small country in the in the, in the Middle East. Um, uh, Lebanon also, unfortunately, went through uh, multiple uh, wars and uh, crises, but um, they continue to uh, to struggle, struggle for their uh, for their uh, national identity, struggle for the national reconciliation, and uh, but uh, but they were not um, able to define uh, what is. Uh, what is the Lebanese nation? They haven't agreed on a definition of a nation, but yet to continue, continue to struggle. Uh, since I'm, I'm here sitting in, uh, in, in the Washington DC area, I think from the US perspective, uh, unfortunately, Lebanon is not a, on, the, on the priority for the uh, foreign uh, you know, policy of the United States, even in, even in the Middle East region. Uh, but the US is on the top of the list uh, that could help, uh, could help Lebanon. That's for sure. I mean, uh, uh, Lebanon is uh, the uh, the most uh, supporters of. Um, I mean, the United States uh, supported uh, Lebanon on the security cooperation. Is the uh, is the without without United States military support, I don't think the Lebanese army will uh, will be able to function. Uh, the same thing on the humanitarian aid. The United States is the most contributor of humanitarian aid to uh, uh, to uh, to Lebanon. Whether this aid or the humanitarian or the security assistance is helping Lebanon or not, that's another story. We know what what. What happened in Iraq and Afghanistan? We've done a lot of U.S. spent a lot of blood and treasure that didn't really amount to uh, too much at the end of the day. But also, we know that the United States is also uh, very influential in the World Bank, very influential in the IMF. So, the United States is very much needed if, if Lebanon wants to move forward, uh, even even uh, even uh, regionally uh, with uh, with the relationship with the Arab nations. Or also, the United States could be a major player to assist in that. And also on the uh, mar maritime uh, uh, discussions between Lebanon and Israel, the United States is very much, uh, very much involved. Um, so uh, we, so let's hope that uh, things uh, move uh, forward. Uh, but uh, uh, we're here to uh, to uh, discuss a certain part of it. I'm, I'm happy to uh, to be with Daisy and Ziad. I know they're both very. Uh, very, very involved uh, in Lebanon, and they're trying to bring it to the forefront and try to uh, uh, try to muster uh, uh, support uh, internationally, whether in the United States or uh, Australia or abroad, uh, to just help this uh, small nation to become a beacon of hope uh, for the uh, for the region uh, at large. Uh, before I pass the mic to uh, uh, to Daisy, I would like to set the stage with uh, her uh, documentary. And uh, the title says it all: uh, uh, enough and uh, uh, enough is enough. And hopefully, uh, with that, we'll uh, we'll set the stage a little bit to our discussion. So I'll ask uh, Mark if if you would uh, uh, could you uh, play the clip for us, the trailer. Dear Lebanon, your location and your diversity put you at the hub between continents and cultures. You have an impressive ability to absorb hardships. Yet you rarely confront the causes of them. Who the hell is responsible? I still can't get the images out of my head. The explosion took me reeling back, back to the days of civil war. At the end of the war, the warlords were given promises of public money. We have the same politicians, the same ones who killed. They're still here, which is like, what? You have so much vested interest in the system, which led us to this very tragic situation. And why didn't the president do anything about it? I don't know. 
corruption is eating up everything in the country. We have to buy bottles of water, which costs more than petrol now. The crazy floating power stations. The system will not be changed from the top. Elections are the only tool that we have. I don't believe the voting process is legitimate. So you feel confident with your decision? 100%. If we do not fix ourselves, the people will revolt against us. We Lebanese people are strong. We're very strong, but we're stubborn. What is your dream for Lebanon? To become a nation. Okay, well, that's that's very uh, uh, powerful, and I think, um, uh, like like Dr. Anthony mentioned, we have a, a civil war and multiple invasions of Lebanon from uh, from Israel and Syria, and um, and I was part of the civil war back then, but it seems it was not enough to make Lebanon a nation. So uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that. What do you think, uh, to get you to this point, uh, we talked a little bit about the spark that uh, led you to put this together for us. So uh, tell us a bit about that. Thank you, Abbas. Thank you for that introduction and that um, very insightful uh, summary. Um, Dr. Anthony was very knowledgeable for me. I mean, you know so much more and I was very impressed with your recount of the entire situation in the, in the region. Um, Look, I'm a student of the Middle East. I was a journalist for many years working um, in Australia and, UK and, the, and London and the Middle East. And, um, but this film just caught me by surprise in 2015, 2016. I started investigating the story again of Lebanon. It's where I come from, it's where I was, I was born, but I grew up in Australia. And uh, what intrigued me was I thought that Lebanon honestly was back on the right track and honestly was um, it was the beginning of the renaissance for Lebanon because I would go and come every three years and I wanted to make a film about the recovery after the war like a bit of um, the Vietnam recovery, the Northern Ireland recovery, the Germany, the Japan, the, the countries that were most devastated in the, in the wars of, of the 20th century. Um, and I thought we were back on track, but when I came in 2017 to undertake my first research and reconnaissance film shoot, I became um, very shocked actually by what I discovered by moving around the country to um, meet with and interview everyone from the average person to politicians and and as I was trying to push forward with a positive idea and a positive theme, it really came back to me in spades that the situation in the country was actually very seriously problematic and was um, you know, diminishing rapidly. And I came away and 
realized that there was a much bigger story that I'd, than I'd anticipated. And we returned with the full crew in 2018. And that was when we really started to dig in and dig deep. And we thought we had a chance with the elections in 2018 that something might change. And, you know, asking people about their efforts and their decision about if they were so unhappy, were they going to vote in the elections? If they were so disgruntled with the economic situation. I, I'm in Lebanon today. I've been here on and off for the last two months, basically, since um, coming from Cannes, where the film won an award at the Cannes Film Festival. And if I wasn't living here today, I wouldn't believe the, the dire situation that the Lebanese people are, ex are existing with. It's, you know, I can reel off the economic collapse of the entire country, but I think Ziad would be far more um, eloquent and also on point to, to define for you the, the demise of the human uh, situation and living conditions in Lebanon, but it's, it's truly mm -hmm. dire. Um, the American ambassador, Dorothy O'Shea, when she arrived here last year, uh, said something I read. She said, I knew when I was researching Lebanon before I arrived into, into Lebanon that the situation was, was bad. Um, but she said, uh, what I have seen, it's a catastrophe. The country is in catastrophic, is in a catastrophe. It's in a, the situation is catastrophic. And so the film leads up to all of this and incorporates the story of the buildup of from 2016, 2017, 2018 with the, the elections. And then the 2019, we incorporated the revolution that happened in October, 2019, when we thought the people had finally woken up and we captured that and their feeling and essence. And then it took us and then, right into the explosion of August 4th, 2020, which was the most horrendous and criminal event that could happen to any nation and any people. And to this day, there is no um, conclusion. The investigations have been stalled and been hampered and the poor families that have suffered lost ones, there's thousands of them, have no answer and it seems very difficult and impossible for them to get an answer and justice for their, for their lost loved ones. Um, so the, the story of the film, it's a story, it's not a documentary that is analytical, it's an emotional story, it's a tale of people of suffering, but a humane story, so that you can relate to it. And that, is, that was the most important point for me to make. And the way I told this story was I wanted to touch people. I wanted you all to be able to feel with the people of Lebanon and the people in the diaspora like myself and so many millions, you know, there's millions that live in America and, and around the world. There's 16 million nearly in the diaspora living outside Lebanon and only 4 million in Lebanon. We have the largest diaspora in the world. And we all love Lebanon. And as you've mentioned, um, Dr. Anthony and um, Colonel, you've also mentioned it. There's so much that we should be proud of. And we have, we have contributed so much to civilization and humanity. And yet, and sadly, we continue to find ourselves in these situations of, um, you know, desperation. Mm -hmm. Desperation and, and just on the title, I took the title 
Um, enough was just the words that kept coming at me from people. But Lebanon's darkest hour was taken from Winston Churchill's words and, and his, his writings about England's darkest hour during World War II. This is Lebanon's darkest hour. The situation in Lebanon could not be more serious than it is today. And if we don't garner support amongst the diaspora, amongst the people, but amongst organizations such as yours, to wake up the political leaders of the world to say enough is enough and these leaders in government today must be stopped. I really, and, and Ziad can back me, that I don't know what is going to happen to Lebanon after next year's election. So there is so much that's counting on the 2022 elections. Okay, th thank you very much. That's, it is a dire, like you said, it is a dire situation uh, in Lebanon. And you're right, there are, uh, uh, the diaspora is vast outside Lebanon. Uh, you mentioned 16 million. I'm sure uh, uh, that everywhere in South America, especially also in the in the United States. Now, the puzzling uh, piece for Lebanon is uh, uh, you see Lebanon uh, uh, directed its effort to a place like Iran. There has no Lebanese diaspora in Iran yet. Just Iran dominates the whole politics. The whole Lebanon is uh, kind of puzzling. But uh, well, let me go to Ziad. On Ziad, I was um, uh, read your recent article you wrote for the uh, Beirut Insights. That's in uh, second uh, October second, and uh, the article was in Arabic. But I want to read what you said that uh, was kind of uh, struck me to, from the uh, the beginning of the article, just to set the stage for you to tell us about uh, about uh, your organization, about what you're doing in Lebanon. What do you think we we mean is the diaspora, especially in the United States, can help you uh, bring Lebanon uh, a, a, uh, out of this fragmentation to a, to a nation, if God willing. And here's what you, what you said. Uh, this is my translation. I hope I did not uh, you know, change the, your meaning. And you said, the danger is existential. And the battle is a profound liberation. No battle is more important than resisting the occupation. Lebanon is an occupied country. Simply, the Lebanese people are facing impoverishment, starvation, despair, and displacement that amounts to a humanitarian crime. Moral collapses are affecting the supposed stronghold of safety and justice. It is not enough to claim immunity with rhetoric. Effective action outside the traditional context is needed in such a bad time." Unquote. Those are strong uh, description. Um, and the, and, and the uh, million, $1 million question is, what actions are needed and who can uh, make a difference? Thank you, Colonel. Uh, and uh, thank you, Dr. Anthony, for the introduction. Uh, allow me first, on behalf of the Civic Influence uh, uh, Hub, to thank the National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations uh, to organize this online roundtable discussion on the Lebanese cause, unpacking Lebanon's crisis, assessing the leadership failings, causing the current human calamity, which is also a very strong title, I think, and is reflecting the darkness we are facing and we are living in Lebanon. Uh, the Civic Influence Hub, first of all, to, to, to go uh, briefly, uh, was founded in 2012. It is a non-profit, a non-partisan pressure group formed by Lebanese citizens who share the same passion and commitment for the creation for a better Lebanon through the pursuit of good governance. 
we aspire to build uh, a country that every citizen can be proud of, where dignity is upheld, where rights and obligations are enshrined, where justice and equity are assured under the rule of law, where every individual is provided uh, the opportunity to achieve their fullest potential. Uh, we led several initiatives uh, since the establishment of the Civic Influence Hub, mainly water resources uh, policy, electricity policy, transportation policy, an initiative about the national security in collaboration with the Lebanese uh, army, uh, a national initiative where we, we gathered all the civil society and the elected societal forces. And uh, 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 this is where the Civic Influence Hub started to, to organize the revolution since 2016 and the implementation of the Article 19, the anti-corruption initiative, and finally, and not last, uh, 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 the hub within the revolution, which was a tent uh, uh, in the uh, downtown and was burned within the session of the neutrality. And after we launched, we, we, we assisted in launching the, the Civic National Front and the first uh, uh, Lebanese Civic Coalition, uh, and where we have the uh, Civic National Front, the Pyramid Group, and the Our New Lebanon from the United States, who are working together for lobbying for the Lebanese cause. Uh, to go back to your, uh, to your question, uh, Coronel Dahouk, yes, Lebanon is an occupied country by a hellish alliance sealed between the mafia and the militia. The corruption, the mafia, are formed by the uh, uh, political stakeholders, are protecting the weapons uh, uh, led by uh, the Hezbollah uh, militia, and as much as the corruption is protecting the weapons, as much as uh, these illegal weapons also are protecting the corruption. This is a, a, a clear equation. Uh, the Lebanese people are victims if on or, if of an organized crime. Uh, and as Daisy mentioned, it's enough and it's time to tackle the root causes of this crime. Uh, it's not uh, enough anymore to think about the symptoms. Uh, 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 Lebanon is facing an existential threat. It is not about economic and social and financial uh, crisis. It is about an identity crisis. Uh, 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 all the uh, state regulatory institutions are destroyed in Lebanon, are destroyed by this, by this alliance. And uh, uh, the daily gloom in Lebanon raises suspicion as to what will become of us, as Daisy now was asking, and perhaps provokes despair among some. We don't know what will be going on uh, uh, tonight or tomorrow uh, in the morning. Uh, the present moment is englobing all the feature of collapse, pain, poverty, and despair from any possibility of positive change. Uh, the people are leaving the country. They are leaving the country. The country is fragmented. And uh, it is not accidental. It is a systematic crime. Let's be clear and realistic. It is not accidental. Someone wants to change the identity of this country. And as we are occupied, the occupation is trying 
to change the identity of this uh, country. The present moment is really putting us in a hopeless uh, situation, if I may say. But the historical moment, on the other hand, bears all the components of the possible radical change due to the fragility of the hellish alliance, which feeds on the partaking of position of influence, weapon terrorization, all sorts of intimidation, and temptation to the point of subjugation. History can teach us the elements of a possible radical change. How? It's crucial to understand that there is an imbalance of power in Lebanon. The Lebanese people now became poor. They don't have any capacity, at least to continue their minimum of the dignity of their living conditions for one month or two months. We don't have any capacity to stay on the minimum of the dignity, but this imbalance of power is giving us also a, a way of hope, a way of hope and a way to hope. How? We should adjust the balance of power and adjusting the power, the balance, the imbalance of power requires the clarification of two concepts. Are we facing a restructuring of power or do we intend to liberate the same from its doctrinal, clientelistic, and militaristic occupiers? We are an occupied country. There are structural differences between restructuring power and liberating the power. It's time to liberate the country. Who will do this? The electoral process is a path, but it is not the goal. Let's be realistic. We should be very well prepared as uh, uh, Lebanese revolution coalitions, alliances to work together and to try at least to make a strategic breakthrough. But this will not save the country. The expats should put again on the international community the Lebanese cause as a priority. We are not in a crisis. Lebanon is a cause because Lebanon was always an oasis of freedom, of human rights, of creativity. This is Lebanon. Lebanon is no more like this. Lebanon cannot continue to be a bartering framework for the international and regional prayers. And it's time to raise our voices to tell everybody, even if you go to do a kind of agreement, we will not accept this agreement and we will fight till the end and we will liberate our country. And this is where the United States and 
our friends in the international community and the Arab world should acknowledge that we are here, we will stay here, we will fight for our noble cause. And like His Holiness Pope Francis said, there is an historical mission, not only for the Lebanese, for the international community to save Lebanon, because this Lebanese formula of pluralism, of diversity, of living together should be saved. The world needs Lebanon, and Lebanon also needs the world. And it's time to move forward for a civil peace resistance. And this civil peaceful resistance is first the moral, and secondly, long and civilized. And whoever remains patient should apprise for future generations. God protect Lebanon and the Lebanese. And thank you for all the support we are receiving from the international community at all levels. Thank you. And thank you very much, Ziad. I mean, uh, I agree with you. There should be a drastic uh, uh, movement and, and has to come from within. I understand uh, the, uh, the need of the international community, but as you see, the international community is divided, uh, not united. And Lebanon is not on anybody's uh, priority. Even uh, I mentioned the United States, also France or uh, others. Um, and Iran is part of the international community. It's out there, uh, they have a stake in the, in the process. And I think it's, it's a, a tough battle uh, um, for, uh, for Lebanon if, uh, if they're fragmented from, from within. We had uh, His uh, Excellency Walid Jumblat here we had a, with, the, at the, with the consul uh, about a couple months ago. And I did ask him that question about the, how do we, uh, some kind of way forward. And he was very adamant. He said, the solution of Lebanon has to come from within. Any outside Absolutely. solution, and it's not going to work. And not only just come from within, you have to involve all parties, including uh, Hezbollah. The Shiite community in Lebanon has to somehow uh, energize, uh, bring it back to the fold. Otherwise, uh, uh, Lebanon is, uh, can continue down this, uh, uh, this rabbit hole. Um, uh, I would like to go back to, uh, I mean, we heard what Ziad said, uh, Daisy, and I know you're, uh, you're trying to influence uh, through the media, through your, uh, your, uh, your uh, um, uh, documentary. But I want to also give you the stage to talk a little bit is, is, uh, on the documentary bit, is it, uh, 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 what's next for you? Is it coming out or are you coming to on, a, on a tour for it? So it's, it's nice to also people get to see your side, of the, 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 uh, that side of Lebanon too, but through the media versus just uh, uh, through the uh, press. Uh. Sure. Uh, yes, we're still on tour at the moment with the festival. So we're going to be coming to America um, on the 13th of October. We're mm. going to be in New York at the Chelsea Film Festival. So if anyone would like to come and see the film in the theatre there, it's, um, it's a great opportunity to see it in its full force because the glory of the, the filming, the photography and the music is profound. It's excellent. So, and it really adds to the strength of the story. So, um, so we're coming to America. We're also going, we're going to be at the Arlington Film Festival, but that's all online. So if you... Mm register for the Arlington Film Festival, you'll be able to mm. see it on the stream. And then we'll be in Fort Lauderdale for the Fort Lauderdale International Film Festival in November. There's three screenings in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale. 
then we have the Docks Without Borders um, in January. We'll be back then. But um, we will be launching officially in Australia in the beginning of December, having our world premiere in Australia and across Australia um, in theatres. And the film that the... You know, normally films have about a year, a year and a half to get out, but because the film is very focused on the elections and next year the elections were going to be in May, the government a few days ago has pulled them back. They're going to be now on the 27th of March. Our window to get the film out as quickly as possible is shrinking. So we're doing a, an expedited release so that we can go mm. to theatres very quickly, then go on to streaming um, we've just got to look at signing up all those deals and then we're also trying to get it onto TV before the elections because it has a very, very powerful message and it has a very um, um, agitating and provoking um, power. When, when people finish watching the film, they feel agitated and provoked and energised to do something. And whether you're Lebanese or non-Lebanese, you feel like you want to do something. And so mm -hmm. we're trying to roll this film out as close to the election as possible so people can go and vote in droves because last election only 49.7% of the Lebanese population voted. And that is unfortunately um, a, a tragedy because we need people to vote for the alternative. And whilst last elections there weren't as many people uh, standing in independent as independents on other lists that are an alternative opposition to the current establishment. This time around, there is going to be a significant number of people who have been rallying and working together for the last two years. Some of them more, like Ziad and CIH, which is, you know, really supporting independent groups and, and activist groups to provide support and, and um, funding and ideas and strategy and policy on how to, to stand in the next elections and to be successful. So look, in spite of being here at the moment and having experienced the hardship, like my internet went out, I'm, I'm on my phone, 4G, electricity goes out at any time of the day, you know, you've got 40 degree temperatures and you're sweating and it's just, there's hardly any waters in your tap. There's, this is the hardship that Ziad was talking about. There's petrol, you have to queue for five hours to get petrol to fill up your car. Buying a loaf of bread or your rapta as they call them used to be a dollar, now it's $3. And this is for people whose salaries have gone from an average of say $1,200 a month to $100 a month. I mean, it's unconscionable and un it's just it doesn't compute what how they're living and so they're relying on the diaspora to support them and help them and that's what the government is also relying on because they know that the Lebanese won't leave their families but um, you know there is ample opportunity they just have to follow me Daisy Gideon um, on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn because we are going to be listing all of the festivals that's coming around in their areas, whether they're going to be streaming, whether there's going to be cinema on demand, um, when we release them onto different platforms. That's the best way to find out if you're keen to, to watch the film. And I really encourage everyone, Lebanese and non-Lebanese, and, you know, it comes back to a level of education and understanding. And understanding because 
I've just been to Croatia, Greece and France at film festivals. And whilst there's a large Lebanese community in, in France, there were a lot of non-Lebanese there. Croatia, there's, I don't know, maybe one Lebanese person. Greece, there's a lot, but none of them were at the festival. And even the Croatians and the Greeks were, were shocked at what has been happening to Lebanon because the media doesn't tell this story. It's not telling this story. I was interviewed by a journalist in the United Kingdom in London about three weeks ago, and I was talking to her about the situation on the ground, the economic de deprivation and the, the catastrophic crisis. I was talking about the political activism and the, and the um, civil activist groups, and she said, we hear nothing. And she is a prominent journalist. She said, we hear nothing. And that is a problem with the media you know, uh, telling those stories. They focus on um, some of the political corruption stories because that's coming out, but to, to document and inform the public about what's going on here is very important for the rest of the world to know because all of those audiences in Croatia, in Greece, in France, who were non-Lebanese could identify and could see signs and similarities with their countries or their states or their, you know, the, the, where they live, because corruption is everywhere. The problem with Lebanon is it it got completely out of hand, beyond comprehension how out of hand it got. And this film is really a wake-up call to all societies, to all people, to not allow your situations, whether it's political or even in social groups or whatever it is in your own communities, schools, hospitals, whatever, be aware and make people accountable. We, unfortunately, and, and in all truth, brought this upon ourselves, but we never, never believed that our own people, our own leaders could lead their own people to starvation, to begging, to this state of complete desperation. It, it's just unconscionable, unconscionable. So I would love people to see it who are non-Lebanese because it really is an education piece and it informs and enlightens and it's the process of the storytelling and the unravelling of the story that helps people piece together how things might happen in their own country or are happening in their own country. Um, it's a great film for people who are interested in studying the Middle East, studying politics, studying, um, you know, corruption, because this is a major piece in the world today. So, yeah. Thanks. I'm, I'm actually sure I will definitely watch it. I hope everybody's listening to us or, or listen this later on to watch uh, this film. Uh, but Daisy, you mentioned, uh, 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 Ziad, Daisy mentioned the election and everybody talks about future elections. I see uh, they're already the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Lebanese Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, asking people in the diaspora to register. And, uh, and Daisy has hoped that the elections could change a little bit, but I think I'm pretty cynical on the elections because the elections is, uh, uh, are a double-edged sword. While you'll have a stake in it, you might win 10%, you might win 20%. But the other 80% are the dominant 80%, they're still on the, the other side of the, the aisle. They're very, and you know what's going on on the other side of the aisle. We talked about all the corruption and, and, uh, and the uh, uh, alliance with the uh, Wilayat al Iran and so on and so forth. 
So what what are, what do you think about the uh, election? I know you mentioned there uh, there are the means, not the goal, uh, but how is that going to help uh, the situation moving forward? It's it's Colonel uh, Dahouk. It's it's controversial. Let's let's be let's be clear on this. Very controversial, but uh, this is one one of the key steps we should uh, uh, take alongside our battle to liberate Lebanon. Uh, uh, there are five five entry points in which the elections uh, will come for to liberate this country. And we should acknowledge that as much as we are facing an existential uh, threat, uh, we are facing also an ethical crisis in the country. It's about the, 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 the ethical personality of the Lebanese people. Right. And it's time to acknowledge this. The first point is we should focus that Lebanon is the victim of an organized crime. We are not in an economic and social and financial crisis. This is the first entry point to try to uh, uh, reorganize, if I may say, the imbalance of power. The second entry point is how we can mobilize the public opinion, the residents and expats. And this is uh, what Daisy will be doing well and uh, uh, start doing this, the trailer of the film, and now when this film will be screened. And we should raise a unified voice, unified Lebanese voice in this direction, not only from the Lebanese people, residents and expats, but also from the friends of, of Lebanon. Lebanon is a, a, a founder member of the United Nations and the Arab League. And, and uh, they have duties also vis-a-vis -vis this country. The third entry point is the unity of the public opinion and the movement of residents and expats, along with the mobilization of the friends of Lebanon. And here, uh, uh, I think we should acknowledge that talking about neutralizing Lebanon, is a key start point. It's time to neutralize Lebanon from all the regional and international uh, axes and conflicts. And uh, it's time to have at least a one day for the Lebanese cause in the United Nations. It is a battle of perceptions, uh, Colonel Dahouk, uh, Dr. Anthony, and Daisy. It's not, not only a battle of power, it's a battle of perceptions and policies. Uh, uh, policies are about perceptions. Uh, this is the equation. The, the, four, the fourth point is adjusting the balance of powers must be paralleled with an organized preparation to meet any elections deadlines. And we are within the elections uh, deadlines, even if uh, maybe we have uh, doubts on how this uh, ruling regime will be leading uh, the, these elections with an alternative project and the clear-cut rules and public policies, while keeping in mind that the restructuring of power will only produce a starting point opening and making balance in the political space. And the reasons for this are many. However, this does not all mean ignoring or overriding the importance 
of the constitutional requirements and the establishing the power. The last point, entry point, is, is very, uh, I think is very critical. And this is, uh, this is related to the educational path Daisy mentioned. The systematic sequencing of the aforementioned points required a transition from the circumstantial violation of reality to a deep understanding of the cultural and value-based metamorphosis that, that must occur in the Lebanese personality. Here is the serious battle. It's time to create again the inclusive citizenship within the Lebanese personality, keeping in mind that the Middle East and the Mediterranean geopolitical context is approving every day the centrality of Lebanon, the message, the message of freedom, of coexistence, of cultural innovation in the region. The region needs the Lebanese formula and the living together. And it's not about sectarianism, it is about how we can uh, organize our diversities in a creative manner to put the human dignity, the human dignity and the peace painting in the center of Lebanon, the message who was acknowledged by His Holiness Pope Jean-Paul II. And this is where I think we have a key battle to restore again the mission of Lebanon, not only in the region, all around uh, the world, thinking again about Jubran Khalil Jubran and Amir Rehani and Mikhail Naimi and Charles Malik and Ghassan Twaini and, uh, and, uh, and Kamil Shamoun and Fuad Shab and all the, uh, and, and, and Kamal Jumblat and Muhammad Mehdi Shamsuddin and Mufti Hassan Khalid, these people who were behind the creative, pluralistic Lebanese formula. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, you mentioned Kamal Jumblat. Kamal Jumblat, uh, his main message was uh, national identity and bring Lebanon to a uh, one Lebanon outside uh, sectarian divides. But we all know what happened to him. He was assassinated because of his nationalistic uh, movement. And uh, till today, like, like I mentioned earlier, we told, Lebanon is still struggling to define uh, its nation. What does it mean by a, a Lebanese national versus a, a, a sectarian Lebanon? Um, well, uh, I think we're coming uh, close to the one hour. And I know it's, uh, we can sit down and talk about Lebanon for a long time, but I, I commend you on what you're doing, uh, Ziad, and also uh, Daisy. Uh, you both uh, have parallel uh, tracks. You're both uh, uh, moving forward. And uh, I think uh, not only from a Lebanese-American perspective, I think from the U.S. perspective, U.S. foreign policy perspective, uh, there's a commonality in there. The challenge is within Lebanon. As you know, you have uh, the struggle against uh, Hezbollah and the Iranian-Syrian uh, uh, vector in there. That's a, that's a hard uh, 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 thing to, to do. Uh, before I pass it uh, to back to uh, Dr. Anthony to uh, uh, 
sum up uh, our conversation uh, if uh, I mean Ziad and maybe uh, Daisy if you have any final thoughts you want to uh, close uh, our uh, close today uh, uh, please do so go ahead uh, uh, Daisy go ahead I'd just like to ask thank you all for allowing us to have this forum to share um, the situation and talk about Lebanon the only thing I would really call on the National Council to support is free and fair elections or a free and fair Lebanon. If we are able to get monitors and real international monitors that support and observe the elections next year, because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to vote next year, but we want our votes to count. We want our voices to count. And we need support. We need your organisation. We need all the friends of Lebanon to force the American government, force the EU, force the international community to put in proper election monitors, international election monitors, because last elections the EU sent monitors and they did not have proper process procedure and, and, and oversight over the voting. We want just free and fair elections. That's all we want. And if we can get some support from you guys and the rest of the American organisations who believe in democracy and justice, it would be a huge, a huge step towards allowing the Lebanese to take charge of our own future. Uh, thank you, Daisy. Happy to help uh, Ziad. The Lebanese people are a nation. But the Lebanese people didn't succeed yet to build a state. It's time to uh, move forward together to liberate Lebanon from the occupation and to build a civil state where the inclusive citizenship should prevail. We have a, a critical path. We will have a very uh, uh, dangerous and serious uh, peaceful battle, peaceful battle, but uh, we will make sure to do it. We'll make sure to succeed in liberating our country. It should become from within Lebanon, yes, we are doing our best, but it's time also for the international community and our friends all around the world to acknowledge that enough is enough in putting the pressure on the people of this country based on a regional and international conflicts. Thank you. Thank you, Ziad. Your, your voice is uh, loud and clear. And um, Dr. Anthony, the floor is yours. Um, before I make uh, a few concluding remarks, I wonder if uh, we could pause and slowly have you, Daisy, um, articulate for the viewers, hopefully, that have pen or pencil and paper to hand, uh, the website where one can obtain the necessary, the relevant information and insight that you want people to have uh, who want to build on this uh, discussion, this conversation that we've had. And then uh, after you, Daisy, if uh, Ziad, if you would do the same, uh, just slowly articulate the website or the email or whatever it is 
that those who want to follow up uh, on your remarks and perhaps even react to them or engage uh, with you in conversation or put questions to you, uh, this would benefit everyone. Uh, Daisy, are you uh, comfortable with doing that? What, what, uh, the www.what, what, what, uh, that we need to know. All right. Enough. Yes. The website is actually enough.movie. If I can show you there, but let me see. Enough.movie. Movie. Uh, that might not be, but. So it's really easy. It's enough.movie is the website that's back uh, backwards. But enough.movie is the website. It's also the handle on Instagram. And um, so you just put enough.movie yes. and you go to our Instagram. Or you put my name in, Daisy, D-A-I-Z-Y. Gedeon, yes. G-E-D-E-O-N, on Instagram and Facebook, tw LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and everything you need, the trailer, the information about the dates and the festivals, and, um, and there's email. You can email us to find out more. But um, those are the best places to, to look, and you'll find um, all of the information you need. Thank you. Great. That's, that's, that's very helpful to all of us. We'll do what we can to share that in our role as, in, as a clearinghouse for information on otherwise hard to come by uh, data, information and bibliographies and uh, frames of reference and standards for judgment. Yes, uh, Ziad, you? Of course, uh, uh, everybody can follow us on uh, uh, CIH Lebanon, Civic Influence Hub Lebanon on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, and uh, YouTube. And they can email us on info at CIH, CIH Lebanon.org. Or they can also uh, go to have a look to our website, uh, www.cihlebanon.org. And I will be more than happy also to receive uh, uh, any email to my, uh, to my professional email, ziad, Z-I-A-D dot E-L-S-A-Y-E-G-H, ziad dot l at cihlebanon.org. Okay. Thank you both. That that's, uh, should be very helpful. And we'll explore with the two of you uh, any additional ways that may come to mind after we sound off on how we can be of help uh, to you as well, realizing that we're in different time zones, uh, different countries, uh, and what uh, may be working hours for you, maybe off hours for us, and vice versa. But uh, surely we can find a time when we can communicate in real time, like we are now, uh, uh, to exchange uh, uh, views and, and ideas and bounce off one another. Uh, thoughts that we don't have now, but are going to be generated in the aftermath of uh, pondering what you both have had to say. Um, uh, and uh, any uh, closing remarks here, these would be two or three disjointed categories of remarks. 
you mentioned elections and uh, Daisy uh, having the standard of free and fair. <clears throat> That's the gold standard of, uh, of elections in the uh, parlance of uh, international organizations. <clears throat> we're, we're not uh, experts in this. Uh, we do specialize in it to a degree in the frames of reference here or that yours truly myself, I have been the only American <coughs> election observer for all of, of uh, Yemen's <coughs> presidential and parliamentary uh, elections uh, since the first ones in uh, 1993 uh, uh, until uh, early into this century. Uh, but not alone or not even uh, as a representative of the National Council so much, but working as a, an official observer, Wahid Min Muraki Boon, the Intikhabat for Yemen, Sanat Al-Tasmiya Thalathawa, just in 1993, uh, going forward every four years. Uh, first with the uh, International Republican Institute. There is one. Um, it's an arm, a branch, an affiliate unit of the uh, Republican Party in the United States of America. The next time, I uh, uh, was uh, uh, asked to perform the same role by the National Democratic Institute, which is an arm of the Democratic Party in the United States. And that one has voluminous uh, archival publications and notes and, and um, observations uh, uh, from the elections that it has observed in uh, Yemen. Uh, to a far greater uh, degree and extent and depth and breadth than the uh, IRI, the International Republican Institute. And then thirdly, the uh, third time I was asked to do this was for the International Feder uh, Foundation for Electoral Systems, known as IFES, I-F-E-S. Uh, we were in each of these instances around 35 uh, foreign observers roughly um, four, five, six Americans, and the rest uh, from uh, Asian countries, African, Latin American, Central American, North American, uh, European uh, countries. <clears throat> and we had access to anything and everything that we sought uh, in the run-up to the elections, the actual, uh, actual elections, and, and, and also being allowed to sit at uh, what, for lack of a better word, would be the National Electoral College, <clears throat> where the ballot boxes were opened and, uh, and counted and recounted and counted and recounted and recounted until there was a consensus as to who would uh, uh, be the winner of those elections. Uh, we did not, in any of these cases, declare any of the four. Uh, the fourth one, by the way, was uh, was asked by the Yemen government to play this role uh, and did so. Uh, but uh, none of them did we uh, uh, proclaim the election's outcomes were free and fair. That's the gold standard. Uh, but we proclaimed them all uh, as open and transparent. So that's like uh, Roman number two or class B or runner up, uh, which is its own very much coveted uh, award. And here we were, 35 people from all of these different countries discussing and debating um, uh, the irregularities and the strengths and the uh, lessons learned per se. Um, and I'm speaking as an American, but there was no more violence or cheating or corruption uh, perceived by any of us 
judges than one could in olden days in the United States of America, say, for example, uh, unearth in the elections for mayor of Chicago or, or some other uh, city where uh, there was an influence of organized uh, crime. So we have experience and exposure and, and, and empirical education in these regards and would be happy to uh, play a role in a voluntary way uh, in any way you think we might could assist. And based on what we've done, the um, government of Oman asked me to come and evaluate its national electoral system, as did the government of, uh, of Algeria. So we, we played the, these kinds of roles. So uh, thank you for bringing that up, uh, uh, Miss Gideon. And um, I didn't realize that uh, you were that much into it, and you are the uh, Riyadh. Uh, so uh, you have plenty of friends in America. <laughs> you're, you're one of the few uh, uh, of the 22 Arab countries that is not uh, in uh, non-surplus of uh, its uh, immigrants and in, uh, in overseas Lebanese. And you're quite right to point out that there are more Lebanese outside of Lebanon than inside. But that doesn't make Lebanon that altogether unique among nations. There are more Germans outside of Germany than inside of Germany. I didn't know until a, an official American government demographer pointed this out to me some uh, 30 years ago, that uh, roughly one third of Americans, this is now uh, 20 years ago, uh, are of Germanic stock. Yeah. So the, uh, that's the evidence there. There are more Italians outside of Italy than inside, more Greeks outside of Greece than inside of Greece. Uh, and so this lends to a richness of Lebanese exposure and experience in edu education on mm -hmm. uh, other countries' governmental structures and the systems of their political dynamics uh, that uh, you can bring to bear around a table as uh, uh, Riyadh mentions the, the, the quest to have a coalition or at least a group of people who would be uh, of a consensus on an appropriate Lebanese identity and re revise, reawaken, renew uh, the, the vitality of uh, Lebanon's genius in terms of per capita contributions to culture and to literature and philosophy, and publications in ed education and, and, and culture and civilization uh, uh, writ large. Now, uh, that said, uh, the various priorities that Ziad, uh, you mentioned, uh, being necessary uh, to come back to Lebanon's uh, freedom, its uh, diversity, its uh, the liberality of its thought and the coexistence at the sectarian level versus uh, uh, a theocratic Wilayat uh, Faqih or the uh, jurisprudential Islamic uh, frame of context that the uh, Iranian leadership is wedded to and would love to see exported to Lebanon would love to see uh, take a hold in uh, Yemen, would like to see uh, one day uh, thrive and flourish in Bahrain, and in a de facto way is uh, en route, uh, something of the substance of that neighboring uh, in Iraq. And it remains to be seen uh, the degree to which, if at all in any significant way, uh, Iran's uh, national leadership will collaborate with the Taliban uh, that people would say, well, the two would be really at each other's throat, one uh, being the beacon carrier uh, uh, for the Shia uh, uh, Muslims and the other for Sunni Muslims. 
Uh, no, uh, yes, at the theocratic level, but at the practical political level, uh, they are in some ways joined at the hip uh, in terms of their uh, largely negative experience with uh, Western intrusive occupying invading powers in the last uh, quarter of a century. Uh, so uh, looking eastward from Iran, in addition to Lebanon, it remains amongst their educational, pedagogical, and analytical challenges to try to make sense of, of, of what will be not just Lebanon's, but Afghanistan's future in the context of Iran's intrusiveness and outreach uh, beyond Iran's uh, borders. It's the only country, to my mind, in the world that has in its constitution uh, not a political wish or preference, but a constitutional obligation to spread the Iranian revolution beyond its uh, borders. Uh, so the Iranian component uh, maybe is a bit more outsized than any of the other international uh, components with the possible uh, exception that's been ongoing, uh, hardly an enduring, but not at all enduring, uh, the Israeli impact uh, next door uh, to uh, your own country of Lebanon. So you, uh, we all have our work uh, cut out for us, but in terms of the priorities, yes, uh, the ones that you mentioned, the other lofty ones, they're idealistic ones, they're grounded in ethics, they're rooted in morality, uh, but at a more practical level, trying to be detached, clinical, and as objective as possible. Um, I, I would invite you to comment if you care, if we don't have the time, then we can do it individually. And, I think and Dr. Anthony, we can run. On security, yeah. security being uppermost in all human beings' minds. If you have no security, you cannot plan, you cannot anticipate, you cannot prepare. Your life is devoid of its optimal meaning and purpose. If you have no security, you have no stability. If you have no stability, you have no peace. If you have no peace, you have no prospects for prosperity. If you lack the security, the stability, the peace, and the prosperity, then you're going to be devoid of the necessary foreign direct investment, institutional and individual, not just to mention the Lebanese expatriates abroad. Uh, so uh, these are amongst the important criteria that I would add uh, to the discussion we're having of things that need to be focused on with an order of putting them in the essential elements of prioritization. Uh, with that, thank you. Thank you. I, I will close and thank yeah. you, uh, Colonel uh, Abbas, thank for you, Dr. the session and uh, Ms. Gideon, and congratulations on the award that you won and, and uh, best wishes uh, for the success of it and other countries yet to be shown and for you, Ziad, for the courage of your convictions and commitment to speak up and speak out and stand up and stand out uh, amongst Lebanon's leaders uh, as to trying to make a difference and determined to make a difference in Lebanon's near-term presence and longer-term future. Thank everyone. And Thanks good day you. to all. Thank you very much, Dr.